The World Cup on off the ball, covering the good, the bad, and well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is the part of the World Cup that's very difficult for us because we're so jealous. Now we're going to Melbourne to make us even more jealous. Anna Harrington, good morning to you. Good evening. Good night to you. How are you? Oh, good day, guys. How are you going? Um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty happy times in Melbourne. We're all pretty bleary-eyed and I reckon I've slept about three hours in the last 24, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good time to be an Australian football fan um, over here. Yeah. How expected or unexpected is it? Does that actually add to the whole thing as well? What were your level of expectations heading into this? Oh, totally unexpected. I think, especially when you play France. I think going into this, it's interesting. We played two of the same teams from our group four years ago, um, obviously France and Denmark. And last time around, we drew with Denmark. And I think this time, because we had a bit of a rocky road through the qualifiers, obviously it went off so long because of COVID. We had to go through the the playoffs and all the way, obviously, to that penalty shootout against Peru. I think people came in with low expectations, thinking we wouldn't get out of the group um, or we'd struggle to get out of the group and um, maybe struggle to pick up points. I mean, six six points is beyond anyone's expectation. It's the most we've, we've ever got. It's the first time we've won two games at a World Cup, won back-to-back games at a World Cup. We've scored in all three. Um, I mean, the golden generation in 06 only got four points, and it was a tough group, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's it's sort of exceeded anyone's expectations. And, yeah, just I think probably beyond people's wildest dreams, to be honest. And I think if you look at those scenes in Fed Square – and the way it's just built throughout the week. Well, that was two in the morning that game kicked off um, here in Melbourne. So, yeah, it, it's a buzz it, and it's fantastic for the game here. How many people are there? We're, we're rolling some scenes from that now. It does look like, I mean, it could be it could be a, a, a Turkish rivalry, one of those. It looks like, you know, all-time great football scenes. The flares are going. It's dark. Everybody is off their heads on joy. It's amazing. How many people are at that? Yeah, there's thousands. Like, it's quite incredible. Like Fed, so Fed Square, to give some context, is across the road from Flinders Street Station, which would be like our main central station in Melbourne. It's It's been used to show games on the big screen. They use it in Australian Open and that as well, I think, sometimes. But um, in 2006, when they went on that run, the Socceroos, um, Fed Square was getting packed and it's it's sort of been a bit of a home. And I think the, the talk initially was they weren't maybe looking at doing games, you know, showing the games there and people really pushed for it and it's just exploded in popularity. Um, yeah, just thousands of people. It was interesting watching on our, our host broadcast at SPS, John Aloisi, obviously the, the Socceroos hero, um, he was in 06 in Kaiserslautern. He wasn't there, obviously, because he was playing and he was at the at Fed Square last night and was just saying it's incredible. It feels like a whole new new generation of people have been inspired by it. It's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It shows, you know, people don't always talk about us as a, a football country, but the thirst for it, the hunger for it's there. Um, and when our national teams do well, people turn up, right? So Melbourne's like uh, the seat of Aussie rules power. Is that right? Correct. I think you guys would know us pretty well for nicking a few of your um, <laughs> your GAA athletes and pinching them down here in Melbourne. But yeah, Aussie, Aussie rules sort of reign supreme. Um, you know, there's there's been things like um, when we've had World Cup bids, like we've obviously got the Women's World Cup next year, the MCG isn't available, the Marvel Stadium or the Dockland Stadium isn't available. Uh, when we were pushing for the this current World Cup, actually, um, it was quite difficult. Um, yeah, footy or AFL reigns supreme down here. But 
never see scenes like that for any sport, to be honest. Like, especially like I, I know the time difference is why it's at two in the morning, but yeah, just the passion and the way people have turned out for it and the way people are getting behind it. It's yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. There's, there's a strong you know love of football here in Melbourne. And, you know, people love sports. We have the Australian Open and. All sorts going on here, the summer of cricket. But, yeah, just the, the turnout was pretty incredible. And now they're actually managing to get some live sites up elsewhere in the country, especially in Sydney, who didn't really have one as you know prolific as this one for this game against Argentina, which um, is going to be actually 6 a.m. Sunday, our time. So Much it's going to be like perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it'll be breakfast instead of um, – well, there might be some that go all night. You never know. Yeah, there's always um, one. But – yeah, there's always a few. So, no, it's a great buzz here. Can I ask you a question about that, Anna? The, um, so I, I, our sports culture has this weird nonsense rivalry where some sports fans hate other fans of other sports. And it, it, sometimes it flares up and sometimes it's repressed, like a lot of things in Irish life. Uh, do the Aussie Rules fans hate the football fans? Do the cricket can fans get on with everybody? Do the rugby league fans, are they haughty? What, what's that like? Uh, social stratosphere like? Oh, you get what people would call code wars where, um, you know, there's people who follow one sport who can't stand another. You get plenty of people like myself. I'm obviously a sports journo, but I've got a lot of, uh, you know, I follow the AFL. I follow the football. I think you get quite a few people who, who follow both, but there's certainly, um, I guess, competition for the same group of fans. And um, I think for, for football fans in Australia or soccer fans, as many would say here, they um maybe feel that they they sort of get overlooked or, you know, the sport is sort of sidelined in favour of things like AFL and those sorts of things, which, which are massive. They have massive supporter bases, AFL in particular, and up north it's more rugby league. Um, rugby union not quite so – doesn't have quite such a, a presence. But, yeah, I think especially AFL in Melbourne, there's a, a real feel of rivalry. A lot of people – do like both sports, but there's certainly competition within the sports, you know, for talented junior athletes, um, you know, especially we've seen it with women's sport as well, you know, like with um, obviously the Matildas who play play your girls next year, yeah. um, really taking off and a lot of other women's sports taking off. There's also competition for, for athletes there. So it's probably a similar thing where every sport wants a piece of, you know, the advertising, the crowds, the um, – the, the talented athletes coming through and, and people are very loyal to their clubs and their sports. But yeah, it's there certainly can be a bit polarising. That Matt Lecky goal, Anna, feels like a, a massive moment for Australian football, soccer. I mean, it's it's one of those, we, I guess in this country, have moments from World Cups, Sheedy, Houghton, Keane, massive goals that we all remember where we were. That Matt Lecky goal feels like such a significant moment in, in, in similar terms for, for Aussies. Yeah, the... I guess the way people have talked about it, we didn't score a goal from open play, I don't think, at the last World Cup, but the, the Tim Cahill um, goal against Japan and Kaiserslautern is the one that, you know, people always called two, but like the first one is where it's probably a where were you moment. And before that, the um, the the penalty shootout against Uruguay where Schwartz makes those saves and John Aloisi scores the winning penalty. They're, they've probably been the, the defining moments for Australian men's football and Australian football um in terms of especially the last twenty something years, like yeah, this this has to go up there. I mean, we're into into the round of sixteen. We got six points, as I said. Um, yeah, it's it's something we haven't achieved before. It's it was just an incredible goal, wasn't it? Like um, he's from Melbourne as well, so I think a lot of people have a have a soft spot for him down here. He plays for Melbourne City actually here, um, but just the way he took that goal and the way he just sent the Danish defender on a bit of a spin cycle was um, was incredible, and the finish was just wonderful. I think. 
yeah, considering how lethargic, especially they looked at the start of that game and, you know, some real backs to the wall stuff, um, to, to pull off a goal like that and such a special goal is, is certainly, I, I agree, going to be one of those moments where you go, where were you when you're maybe in Fed Square, maybe you're in Qatar or maybe like a lot of people you're on the couch or in the pub. It's, um, yeah, it's going to be a moment that goes down in history. And I think, you know, they've, they've really got nothing to lose, right? Argentina, no one expects them to win. Um, not many expected them to beat Denmark, so they can go into it. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's a really exciting moment. One goal though can change all because reading after the match, um, I think it was on ABC in Australia where they were like, if Matt Leckie's career had ended yesterday, people wouldn't have known what to have made of him. Like he's a hard worker, a good runner in that Australian team. But the goal just becomes iconic and changes all. Yeah, it's interesting because he had he has actually had a really really good career. He went over to the Bundesliga and was a regular there for a long time, which is no I think easy feat, especially when you've come over from Australia. He's come back, um, you know, because of his family and wanting to be back in Melbourne, and he sort of took a while to get back into our domestic league here and, and hit form. But he's really been flying this past season. But yeah, he's always been really super reliable. But he sort of said it himself best um, that he's it's his third World Cup, which is pretty incredible. Um, and he's had chances to score and, you know, they've not fallen that way for whatever reason. And then when he got this one, he took it. And he, to be honest, he looked um, absolutely out of puff, like a lot of the Australians um, early in this match. And to, to make a run like that, it was a lovely ball as well from from Riley McGree, but to make a run like that and then to finish so wonderfully, it's, um, yeah, a real testament to him. He's, he is probably one of the underrated figures of Australian football, but now, like you say, kind of gets his, his spot in, I guess, the legacy of it all. Uh, Graham Arnold's legacy is fairly secure now after this as well. Heading into the tournament, I understand people were a little bit uncertain about him. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's been polarizing. Um, it's, he's had such a long history with, Australian football and the Socceroos. He was caretaker before um, it was 07 and it didn't go so well. And then he had a really good um, club career in the A-League here with Sydney FC especially, but also the Central Coast Mariners. And he got the job, obviously, Ange Postacoglu left. We had Bert Van Marwijk took over on an interim basis and Arnold was always going to take over. And I feel like you've got these different schools in Australian football and people really loved Ange Postacoglu and we know what he's doing now in Celtic and what he did in Japan and the way he played that really fearless, you know, attacking football, all costs. Maybe people maybe see Arnie or Graham Arnold as a bit more pragmatic. Um, and he was sort of in a really tense spot um, when Australia didn't qualify directly, like finish below Japan or Saudi Arabia and Japan and had to go through the playoffs. There was question marks over his future. Would, the, would Football Australia look to go in a different direction? Um, but obviously they, they got through the playoffs and um, he pulled off that masterstroke in picking Andrew Redmayne for the penalty shootout against Peru. And then he was always going to go to the World Cup from there. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't deny what he's done. He's, there's, as with every team, I'm sure there's question marks over, oh, should this player have been selected? Should this one have missed out? But he's been, he's been vindicated with his man management and the, the players he's backed and the style. And he, I thought he pulled off a really smart move at, I think it was at halftime today when he um, brought on Keanu Bacchus for, for Craig Goodwin, who'd been exceptional in the first two games. And it just re-energized that midfield, pushed Riley McGree forward and McGree got the assist. He's like, he's a bar the France game where I think the criticism was Australia was very conservative after the goal and really sat deep and it, it clearly didn't work out. The past two games have, you know, done everything they had to. And yeah, it's backs to the wall. It's hard work, but, World Cups aren't always going to be pretty football, right? So, yeah, I think he's um he's not necessarily going to turn everyone into his fans, but he deserves 
a lot of credit and he's going to, like I said, with Leckie, he's making his own mark in Australian football history and, and he deserves it. He's um he's backed himself in, his players have backed him in and whether he carries on, I imagine that's going to be his choice entirely now after this World Cup. Um, You have to think the contract will be there. His players are keen for him to stay on. Yeah, he's um yeah he's done brilliantly and I think he deserves every bit of credit he gets. How is the A-League getting on at the moment? It's not going too badly. It's... um. The, I think the big games get big crowds. The smaller ones, there's still some question marks over the crowds. There. I think the standard has improved over the years. You get some really entertaining games. We've got a lot of young players coming through. I think expansion has helped in that regard. The the obvious one people talk about is young um, Garan Kual, who's signed for, for Newcastle in, in the Premier League and will be heading over there in January and will probably get loaned out. But, yeah, there's a lot more young players coming through. There's quite a few Socceroos um, that are that are playing there now. Um but I think the really exciting thing was a, a huge chunk of this team that were um, that are in Qatar at the moment and that have achieved this milestone came through the A-League or have played here at some point and have yeah either had their development years in Australia or have, or have come back. Or Jason Cummings, the, the Scot- former Scottish international, came to the A-League and reinvented his career, right? So it's really exciting in that sense. Like, you know, there's always... Um, going to be some toing and froing, and I think things that can be improved upon. But as far as uh, providing a development pathway for these Socceroos, I, I think most people will be pretty excited about what it's done. I hadn't realised until recently, Anna, that, that um, Graham Arnold's number two is Rene Mullenstein, who Manchester United yeah. fans will recognise as first-team coach under Alex Ferguson for, for many years at Old Trafford. So a lot of experience there. Yeah, a lot of experience there. And, um, yeah, they seem to work work really well together. And I think Mielenstein was the one that was sort of based in Europe and in England doing the scouting and doing the work um, during COVID when Graham Arnold was based in New South Wales. And also when um, when Graham had COVID, he had COVID twice during the World Cup qualification period. Like it was a pretty brutal run between the travel, the delays, the postponements, the going into hubs, um, you know, and then players having to do heavy quarantines when they came home. Graham Arnold got COVID twice, and um, Milstein had to had to coach in his in his stead. It was, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a fair old journey for them both. I think. Where where does this team rank now? You mentioned that the O six generation of Cahill, Q, and Viduka. Like, is this the new golden generation in Australian football? That's what um, Graham Arnold was saying today. Do we talk about this as a new one? I mean, on points they've they've surpassed them, but there's something I don't want to say mythical, but there's something like aspirational about the golden generation. You had so many players playing in top leagues in Europe. You had um like genuine stars, like when you think you had Viduka and Kuhl and Cahill all in that, you know, sort of attacking mix, attacking slash midfield mix, like incredible, you know, Mark Bresciano, so much talent, um, and it, it batted so deep. And I think a lot of people say, like, if they'd qualified for, you know, 98 or 2002, maybe we would have seen more of the golden generation really take centre stage. But um, I think in terms of what they've achieved here, fantastic. And I'd love to see them go on with it. I'd love to see them kick on, you know, Asian Cup again, if they can get another win there. I think it, do- it doesn't have the maybe the mystique and the allure of, of the, the golden generation per se, but I think maybe they've shifted a lot of people's perceptions on what, Australia, where Australian football is and what they can achieve and the talent of some of these players because that Denmark team was not short of talent and a lot of these guys like Harry Sutter you'd, you'd have to think will be in the Premier League sooner rather than later he's been just a rock for for Australia you 
look at the way Jackson Irvine's played and, um, you know, Aaron Moy's been old, sort of old faithful, reliable. And yeah, it's, yeah, there's a lot to, a lot to like about what some of these players have been, have been able to do. And I mentioned Matt Leckie, of course. I think he and Craig Goodwin had been, well, Goodwin's outstanding in the first two games, but Leckie's been very good in all three. So. Yeah, it's it's not quite it's not the golden generation like in terms of the profile and maybe the overall quality of the team, but yeah, as I say, I think they're certainly shifting some perceptions. I think there'd be a lot of people who maybe aren't strong followers of Australian football who would have queried how far this team could go, and I think even people who followed it closely would have queried that. So yeah, they're um they're certainly making a name for themselves in their own right, I guess. Give us your prediction for the Argentina game. Oh, I have to have to go with Australia, don't I? <laughs> you kind of do, yeah. I won't, be very po- I won't be very popular at home if I, if I don't. As I said, like, you can't – well, you can lose, obviously, but it's a free hit. Um, we saw what Saudi Arabia were able to do yeah. against Argentina. Like, it's not like they're some sort of mythical beast team that are just steamrolling everyone. They've They've had their struggles. So I think Australia will back themselves. Both teams are going to be short on rest. It's – going to be tough it's going to be gritty like I don't envy the Australian defense having to deal with um Leo Messi running at them but you never know you never know um I, I don't think I don't think there'll be any clean sheets <laughs> let's go maybe maybe it'll be a one all and it'll go to extra time and Australia will jag one let's go with that there if you they go score two that'd be nice sounds like an all-time classic Anna great stuff uh-huh. thanks a million thank you so much for having me and uh take care guys OTB With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.